it's just so wrapped up in everything that we do. So one of my, you know, main goals is to, you know, just create some awareness around, you know, why, why are you going to alcohol and really, you know, journaling, like you guys have always talked about actually writing about some of these experiences and, you know, things that you are seeing in society even, and your own alcohol use. And it's really, it's kind of eye-opening. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we have a couple of quick announcements. It's fall, and you know what that means. It's time for our next quarterly functional medicine liver detox. And we've both had an amazing summer. And the weather has been gorgeous in Minnesota, and Marnie and I have definitely loved all of our barbecues and summer gatherings with friends and family and overall break from our routines. But we both need a reset. I know in talking to some of you guys that you do as well. So for those parents out there, your kids by now are hopefully back in school and you're starting to fall back into your own routine and focusing on those healthy habits. And this is just the perfect time to reset, to reset those healthy habits that you were already doing, but maybe just got a little bit off track this summer. It's a great time to reset your liver and get rest, get ready for an amazing um, last quarter of 2022. So we'd love for you to join us for this liver detox where you're going to boost your immunity, reduce your toxic load, decrease your bloating, you're going to increase your energy, improve your digestion in just one week. And what this community program really does is it helps you learn to tune into your body's unique needs and walk away with a set of tools and a better understanding of your own body. Plus, you will feel so proud of yourself for this accomplishment. We're starting on Sunday, September 19th. But if that timing doesn't work for you, you can really start whenever you'd like. Marnie and I will support you throughout your journey. So click the link in the show notes, message us with any questions. We would love to have you join our supportive community. And then finally, we've had a couple of these um, health transformation audits that we've dropped over the last few months. And it's just a 15-minute short episode where we bring you, our community members, on to help you identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness. And then together we analyze those challenges with you so that you can walk away with one tangible action step to guide you on your journey to finding your art of living well. We absolutely love doing these episodes as integrative health practitioners and health coaches. So click the link in the show notes, email us at the art of living well podcast at gmail.com and sign up for your 15 minute health transformation audit today. And now let's welcome today's amazing guest, Jen Gilhoy. 
Jen is an event experience strategist and founder of SparkTrack.com, where she's been focusing on event experiences, the follow-up, and strategic story writing for a decade. In her life and work, she is fascinated with the art of gathering and intentional conversations. She especially loves lingering behind and reliving moments others have long since moved on from. It's in her DNA. In 2014, Jen moved on from active addiction and began a sober lifestyle. As an introvert and moderate empath, she discovered that the written word is her avenue to invite others into inquiry and shatter stigmas around addiction. In 2021, Jen launched her personal brand, JenGilhoy.com, to focus on shifting the narrative around sobriety to sober, not somber. Jen invites self and social inquiry into alcohol use and shatters stigmas through her writing, conversations, and inclusive events. Her work in the sober space is not about self-help and peer-to-peer support. Rather, it's about creating healthier environments that support a wide range of sober choices. Jen is also a board member of Dissonance, an organization that promotes mental health and recovery in and through the arts, which she talks about in today's episode. Jen is on a mission to normalize not drinking and to bring conversations around alcohol-free workplaces and alcohol-free happy hours to corporate events. This is such a powerful and relevant conversation, talking about how we as a society can normalize choosing not to drink and how to become sober curious, even if you do choose to drink alcohol. Jen invites you to engage in healthy self and social inquiry to heal and be well. In today's conversation, Jen shares her three pillars to becoming sober, which include working with yourself, working with your peers, and working with your environment. We talk about how you can explore your relationship with alcohol, how you can sit with your uncomfortableness and experiment in small doses. Did you know that more than half of Americans say they'd like to drink less or not at all? Contrary to past notions, you don't have to be an alcoholic to choose not to drink. And we dive into this topic today. Jen talks about the mindset shift that needs to occur to be able to overcome FOMO or the fear of missing out and the misconception that you have to drink in order to be fun. Jen really opens up and becomes vulnerable about her journey to becoming sober and how living a non-alcoholic life has really improved her, her well-being over the last eight years in all areas of her life. We dive in and talk about ways to have conversations with your teen about alcohol use and how, as parents, we can can model good behavior. And she shares lots of resources and ways that she unwinds and relaxes without alcohol. So without further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Jen Gilhoy. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Shield Your Body. Shield Your Body is a company that makes products to shield your body against electromagnetic frequency, or EMF radiation, from modern technology. Did you know that all modern technology is a source of EMF radiation? Cell phones, laptops, Wi-Fi, even your refrigerator is a source of EMF radiation. And each year, we are exposed to more and more EMFs. There are literally thousands of high-quality, peer-reviewed scientific studies demonstrating clear links between exposure to EMF radiation and a wide range of negative health effects, from anxiety and infertility to sleep disruption and cancer. Fortunately, there are easy ways that you can reduce your EMF exposure right now that cost you absolutely nothing. 
After reading the Shield Your Body guide, I stopped using my AirPods, something I used daily for hours sometimes and have switched back to the old school wired headphones. And for me, after reading the Shield Your Body guide, I really put my foot down and insisted that my kids keep their cell phones and their laptops out of their bedrooms at night while they were sleeping. And I've been working on Jordan as well. And I think after reading the guide and listening to our podcast, he has finally agreed to do that. So download your copy of a free guide at shieldyourbody.com to start improving your health right now. And be sure to check out our episode number 123 with R. Blank, CEO of Shield Your Body. Hi, Jen. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Stephanie and I both met you through Modern Well, our women's or I guess community co-working space that we all work out of. And we've known you now for a number of years and it's been really fun to get to know you. And I know we all went to like a little dance party together um, a few years ago and that was super fun. And um, Stephanie and I have been chatting for a while now about having you come on our top, on our podcast to talk about normalizing not drinking and living a more sober lifestyle. And I think it's such an important topic and we're just really excited to dive deeper into that with you today. Um, and before we really dive in, I know that everyone has a story and we would love to hear in a nutshell your journey on how you came to live a sober life and build your career um, around this in addition to the work you do with SparkTrack Consulting and how it has changed your path over time from when you first started in your business. Yeah, first of all, thank you both so much for having me on. I know our conversations over, you know, at Modern Well over the years have really meant a lot to me and I'm just excited to be here. So um, yeah, getting into story. So, you know, approaching a milestone birthday coming up on 50 years, I really have, you know, over two decades worth of, you know, experience with alcohol use and um, some of the years of sobriety now, eight years. And what is so fascinating to me is I thought I was managing my alcohol consumption. You know, it started in high school, it progressed in college, as you know, with this, this disease, which some label as alcoholism. Um, it, it is really cunning and baffling and powerful. So in my career, in my early days, I was part of events and was around alcohol all the time. And even if I wanted to get away from it, I found it really hard to do. I did know very early on in my 20s that I had a problem with drinking, um, but it took me a, two decades really to step into the rooms of AA and actually get help. I could not do it alone. So, you know, fast forward to around my 40th birthday, I had a career in marketing and advertising and had just accepted a job where I experienced a lot of stress and burnout. And at that birthday, I was, I really came to realize that I needed to remove alcohol from my life. And it's not an easy thing for sure. Um, it took me a good two years with a couple relapses to actually understand and be able to um, make sobriety a sustainable and long-term piece of my life. So I definitely have done that over the last eight years. And I would say more in the last four years become much more vocal 
um, and stepped into my purpose, which is really, I think, helping others and being very open about what it takes to become sober. Well, congratulations, wow. first of all, on being sober for eight years. That's wonderful. And we're proud of you. <laughs> yeah. And thank, thank you, you for sharing that story. And I think, like you said, you're now stepping into your purpose as far as being more open and sharing your, your journey and to help others. And that's what we really want to dive in today yeah. and talk about. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how you explored your relationship with alcohol? You kind of mentioned that, you know, you had a couple of relapses and mm-hmm. it was obviously, um, it was a journey in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, even though I was, you know, going to AA meetings, trying to build a community with people that were, you know, had some amount of long-term sobriety built up, it still became a challenge when I would go back into my workplace or be out in social settings where I just felt like I was always missing out. Like I was still kind of romanticizing about this, you know, life and relationship I had with alcohol, which um, I just, it really took some, you know, deep work on myself to let go of that. Um, and those were, you know, a couple relapses I had at like four months and five months before I actually, you know, figured it out. I've had enough tools in my toolbox, as we say, to know what to do to stay sober and know that once I go down a certain path, I don't really have an off switch to drinking, you know, and I think um, you can tell yourself that you do. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I'd be able to have a couple drinks and be fine. But Overall, it was just a very unhealthy um, pattern for me, and I needed to realize that. I really needed to um, hit my own kind of rock bottom before I actually was able to get help for myself. So how does someone go about changing their relationship with, you know, with alcohol? So you, you, you came to a point where you realized it wasn't, you know, you couldn't control it in the way that, you know, some people... Or, or, or how it per, it's perceived by some that they can control their alcohol, I guess. Um, you know, if you're just thinking that to our listeners out there who can may, maybe are really resonating with what you have to say and their own personal experience with alcohol, how does someone go about that? It's a, really a behavior, you know, behavior change. It's a habit. But like you said, it's all around you. And that's what seems to be so yeah. challenging. It, it's It's a social norm. It's, you know. Absolutely. So I think of it in terms of like three pillars. There's this like work on self and then there's work with your peers and in a community to have support. And then there's this third level of environment. Like how does your environment support your drive and your, um, you know, goal to be sober. And I, and that's exactly where my work is, is in that environmental space, because that's where I see over and over again, we do the work, we go to the rooms, you know, people in recovery are at meetings and talking with each other, but our society just reflects that we should be able to drink responsibly. And I think I, when I look back at my alcohol abuse, it really is, you know, centered in those spaces where I would go and join with friends and that, you know, drinks are flowing and you're just like, why, why can't I do this like everyone else? And it becomes this, um, 
you know, barrier, I guess, to social experiences. So I definitely found that there were layers. Um, and if I look back, you know, the first year was really work on myself and through AA and with community. And I really didn't get to this kind of understanding of how the environment around us impacts us until about four years. And that's when I started becoming much more vocal about the need to kind of, you know, to address what's happening in our social spaces and support people that want to make better choices for whatever reason, really. So, you know, as you became sober, did you find yourself pulling away from those social situations or environmental situations that you were in in the past where you, you know, felt like you wanted to drink and be with friends and whatever, and then the new sober Jen, I would think would have a hard time putting yourself in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I talked about this before, but really the first year I didn't do anything. Like I was like reading books. I was at home, what they call white knuckling, right? Until you profoundly understand like this sober life, which now I, I feel is, I'm one of the luckiest as Laura McCown says, um, it really truly, you know, in the beginning doesn't, it takes a while for your brain to kind of understand that you have to form new patterns and new habits. So literally kind of went underground for a year started, you know, when I would go into some of those spaces, um, go with community, go with someone who had my back and kind of understood that those situations were just hard, you know? Um, and I still, to this day, experience some of those feelings and some of those, um, barriers just in social settings, like really quite, quite often, which is surprising. Um, so again, that's, you know, part of the journey. And I think there's this perception that, you know, once you get sober, like everything changes and it literally is such a deep and, um, time consuming transformation that, you know, relapse is, um, it's almost part of everyone's journey. I, I know very few people who can just walk away from it and make all the changes that need to happen in order to have sustainable sobriety. Yeah. What, what, based on your experience and what you've seen with others, why do you think that is? I mean, there's such a social, is it because there's such a social aspect to alcohol? Yeah, there's, there's that there's, you know, internally, um, we call it like playing the tape, like the idea of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the first things I learned play the tape because you've had I had 20 years of experience, like, why couldn't I see that having a drink at an event and going to a happy hour and all of these things would lead to a blackout drunk, it would lead to, you know, consequences that were horrifying and terrible, you know, for my family. And why wasn't that enough? You know, it's just, it was really powerful to keep going through the kind of insanity piece um, and not realizing that you needed to do drastic things to interrupt that. Mm -hmm. Which I think is common, right? That, I mean, people it's hard to break patterns and habits. Yeah. It really takes a mindful, conscious decision to move forward in a different way and continue to do it over and over again until you have 
broken that pattern. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the marathon, right? You don't just get up and say, I'm going to run a marathon the next day. You There's training involved. There's the daily work and it's small incremental change that you have to keep working on. And a lot of the, you know, AA and the things that I did in the beginning were like, I don't really believe this, but I'm saying it. I'm reciting the 12 steps, which, you know, the first one is to admit you're powerless over alcohol. And that's, that's another piece that I want to share with your listeners too, is that, you know, AA has been absolutely wonderful for me and so many, but in particular for women, um, one of the first things you had to say is, you know, you're powerless which didn't resonate with me because I, for the first time, actually felt pretty powerful, like seeking help. I felt like I'm, you know, I'm going to take charge of this. I want to um, step into that. And, you know, I think um, the other piece of it is you have to basically say you have character flaws. So, you know, it kind of implies that you as a person have these terrible character defects when in reality, it's just the nature of how we are as humans, right? So I had to do a lot of work to just kind of walk through that process that was laid out by so many alcoholics in recovery before me. I had to really take what worked for me and leave some of the other things that didn't resonate as well. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that, you know, like I'm not, you know, an AA does a really nice job of saying whatever your higher power is. But, you know, it was founded by, you know, white men who, I don't know, it's just a very different story that many women bring into it. And the book itself, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, has stories woven into it, which I actually think is wonderful. If it was just a 12-step with no personal experience, I think it would be hard to relate to. So for that reason, um, it really is a wonderful piece to just dive into and just be as open as you possibly can. If something doesn't work, you know, exactly for you, you know, not setting it aside, but just kind of sitting with it, like, you know, and, and figuring out how, what you're going to do with that information. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, really in any sort of anything that a person follows, right, it's good to take what you need Mm. out of it. I mean, I I think about religion that way. I know Mm -hmm. not everybody does, but I do. Like whatever resonates with me and works for me is what I take out of it. And I I take things from all different religions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's not just one that I like and all believing in. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's similar, right? Not religion, but just that you're taking what you need from it. And yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this was 10 years ago when I first tried to get sober, really it was AA and people weren't talking about it in the workplace. There wasn't a mental health conversation. None of these things were happening. And so, you know, throughout the pandemic and over the last probably three some years, incredible. And in fact, you know, more women writers that I've connected with have shared their sober journey and open up the doors for all of us to just talk more about it. So I feel like even now, if people picked up one of these books, um, Quit Like a Woman, which is my favorite um, by Holly Whitaker, or if you read Laura McCown's We Are the Luckiest, um, you could join virtual groups and get support from a very like-minded community 
And that's how a lot of people are exploring and getting into the idea and just exploring their relationship with alcohol. And I, I just don't feel like, you know, 10 years ago, there was nothing like that. There, you know, was huge shame and stigma around it, which is, you know, what really kept me from doing anything. It was paralyzing. I mean, it's like, you don't want your life to be, you know, in the workplace and have all of these horrible experiences, but you just don't know a way out. You haven't, no one's modeled it for you or talked about it. Well, and that's yeah. a great transition into what you're doing now. And I'm wondering if we can talk about that. You know, you don't have to be an alcoholic to choose not to drink and um, you can really choose for whatever reason at any time, if you don't want to drink, but can you talk about your work in the sober space and how you're focused on improving social experiences that take mm -hmm. the focus away from alcohol and the expectations and pressures around drinking and really focus on the idea <clears throat> that to be fun and to have fun, you don't have to be drinking um, or intoxicated. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, so in August of 2021, this had been on my heart for quite some time, but I did launch my personal brand, which is jengilhoy.com. And that's where I started sharing stories more about my social experiences around the question that I would get everywhere, which is, why aren't you drinking? And even if it wasn't verbally asked to me at a restaurant bar or an event where everyone has a drink in hand, um, it was questioned, you know, it was just awkward or, you know, there's just all these weird things about how do you respond to that? And why are people asking that? I, I would like to say, you know, why are you drinking? Um, but the social <laughs> norms, just you know, it just dictates our experience everywhere. So I just became really um, passionate about asking these questions in these spaces and finding out, you know, what are people, even those that you know, are what I would call sober curious. Um, and what is a resounding kind of coming back to me is that that's potentially 80% of the population, you know, that sometimes may not want to drink and still gets the question or comes into a social experience thinking, oh, I think, you know, I just worked out and I'm, you know, have something tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, not drink tonight when we go to this restaurant. The minute you walk in the door, you know, it's presented to you um, with a menu and, you know, here's our wine and, you know, the whole thing. And you're just like, I guess I should have something. I mean, it's just so inherent in the process. So you look at how it pairs with even people that are choosing more, you know, to have more wellness in their life. And then this is also part of wrapped up in that experience. And I have just found that the door is wide open, you know, with Ruby Warrington's naming of sober curious. Um, it is just like that gray area drinking spectrum is just wide open. Like half of, of the American population says, I'd like to drink less or not at all, <laughs> you know? So it, it is a thing. And I think by just really talking about our social spaces, um, not necessarily saying, you know, no alcohol whatsoever, but kind of this idea of we, most of us haven't had some experiences in like from weddings and, you know, baby showers, all the things we do that have alcohol present, we haven't had enough of those experiences without alcohol to even know. I love what you're doing. I think this is so important. I know we've talked about, it. I remember when you 
first kind of started, you know, even just like the New Year's Eve experience with you know yes. some places locally in the Twin Cities where you were trying to have like a party that didn't have alcohol. Um, and I think Marnie and I can both relate a lot to this sober curious because there's periods of time where we don't, that we choose not to drink. Mm-hmm. And I think even for someone, you know, I'm, I do drink alcohol, but there are many, many times, and particularly I have to say around my kids' sporting events, which is interesting. It's a whole nother area we could get, you know, where parents are drinking before games and, you know, a Tuesday night, a Monday night, it's not just like a, I choose to like have nice dinners with wine and things like that. But um, it's just becoming like a little out of control, I have to say. And so it's not just in like a party situation. It's like in every night of the week. And I think you probably can speak to this. Like during COVID, that those numbers ramped up even yeah. more because we were home and we weren't having to drive. And there's a lot of people that came out of like a year or two into the pandemic just wanting to drink less. And, you know, really, I mean, I've had a lot of people tell say that to me, you yeah, know, I, I was drinking sure. a lot and I, I really, I don't want to drink so much anymore. And how can I limit it? Do I really need a glass of wine every night? Um, and those are people that aren't, that are still control, you know, I'll use that in quotes, controlling their alcohol to a certain extent and haven't hit a place where they've realized that alcohol is, has the power over them. So. Well, it, yes, it, I'll say also in reference to that, like, what I, you know, I, I do also like Stephanie, I enjoy a nice glass of wine with some good food and, but I'm not a huge drinker. I've shared with you guys, my dad is recovering alcoholic addict and has been sober for 30 plus years or I don't know how many years, but a lot of years now. (laughs) Um, so I've always been super conscious of not going down that road, road myself. However, I do really enjoy a good cocktail or a good glass of wine um, in small doses. But I will say, like Stephanie, I have noticed that the alcohol use in my age group, our age group, has skyrocketed. And I don't remember it being like this when I was little with babies, the way it is now. And maybe it was and it just wasn't on my radar. But it it's it's really kind of unbelievable to me. And especially when we think about how alcohol is a depressant and there are so many people walking around with mental health issues and depression. And then you, you throw alcohol on top of that, that, that just makes it worse. Right. Yeah. It's just a, it's a toxic mix. And certainly through the pandemic people, you know, when when you can kind of put your zoom screen on mute and grab a glass of wine, like I've literally heard women talking about that. And I think what it comes down to is, you know, you really recognize how you pair your alcohol use. So, okay, nice dinner, you know, and you, you kind of, um, you have certain things that you do sporting events with kids, Oh, we need this. It's hardly even questioned. So I think the big piece there is becoming aware. So even if you're a, you know, normal or you feel like you're a responsible drinker, it's still good to question, you know, why are we doing this? And the other piece that was huge for me is my alcohol use was actually driven by like fun events or, you know, like, you know, times in my life where I was like celebrating or it was a reward. And, you know, a reward for making it to the end of the workday. And it's just so wrapped up in everything that we do. So one of my, you know, main goals is to, you know, just create some awareness around, you know, why, 
why are you going to alcohol and really, you know, journaling, like you guys have always talked about actually writing about some of these experiences and, you know, things that you are seeing in society even and your own alcohol use. And it's really, it's kind of eye-opening with even just the groups of women I've talked to. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we just, we don't even have a non-alcoholic option at, you know, this wedding that I'm hosting for my daughter. We haven't, it's not even on the menu. We have eight, you know, 80 wines to choose from, but you know, nothing for the non-alcoholic crowd. So a lot of space to make improvements there. So, so how do you create the non-alcoholic experience? And I, you know, you said something earlier about feel like the, the FOMO, your fear of missing out, or you, we associate alcohol with being fun. And so if I'm not drinking, I'm not going to be fun. Oh, I mean, right. that to me yeah. is a huge mindset <laughs> shift that needs yeah. to happen. I know. And believe me, right in early sobriety, I was not fun at a bar. I was like white knuckling it, like just, you know, just yeah. don't drink. So um, it, yeah. And I would say in that space, the perception is that, you know, oh, you know, if a bar restaurant is offering like sparkling water soda as like, let's say as their non-alcoholic options and they have that on the menu, it is a miss. So there's, there's so much in terms of the experience and the celebrated way a non-alcoholic beverage is presented. There's just a lot. I mean, there's so much that we can change in that space because even if you do have something served to you, oftentimes I find, um, you know, it's like a kitty cocktail or it has a, a different glass than everyone else's. And it's, it's just painful to experience a lot of these things still and um, not have the awareness from the event host or whomever is really kind of in charge of that social space. I think that's a good point to bring across because I, I'm thinking that a lot of people don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, what I, what I have noticed as well is, you know, oftentimes if I am not drinking, I might be the only one in a bar or restaurant that is not, you know, doesn't have an alcoholic beverage in hand. Um, The huge difference that I've noticed is now that I have a community of people that choose not to drink. Um, when we go out, if there's eight or 10 of us, it totally changes the dynamic of the experience. And so when everyone is not Mm -hmm. drinking, everyone is present at the same level. You can have really awesome conversation. People, you know, like dancing, right? Like some of these activities, like we joke about karaoke, like who's going to do karaoke without a couple beverages in them, you know? (laughs) And so like, that's what I want to create in some of these social experiences is, you know, not just a few NA options, but really celebrating the fact that everyone in an adult, you know, entertainment venue could actually be not drinking. Like, what would that look like? Yeah. I love that. It would be amazing. And I think we're lucky, at least in Minneapolis, there are a lot of restaurants that have amazing non-alcoholic beverages. I've had them. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like I've chosen to have them. You know, <laughs> if I'm only going to have one or two drinks, maybe I'll have that and a glass of wine. And they're mm-hmm. really good. Um, yeah. There's some really creative things to do. And there's even some like non-alcoholic, I mean, I don't want to call them like gin or vodka, right? But I've seen lots of ads pop up on my yeah. Instagram feed. I don't know how yeah. those are, but... 
For sure. There's such an interesting space there. So really when I talk to those non-alcoholic beverage makers, they aren't necessarily targeting those in recovery um, because sometimes, and I have found this, like you'll go to AA and they'd be like, completely stay away from the non-alcoholic beverages. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, especially if it is a drink that is very similar to your favorite alcoholic drink. So I, you know, in my first probably three years, I did not, of sobriety, I did not touch any version of NA, anything that looked like it. Um, and I think that's an important message to also share is that um, we need to just be aware that, you know, creating these amazing cocktails that mimic your favorite drink, like a Manhattan or, you know, a beer for some maybe even too close um, to jeopardizing their, you know, any amount of sobriety that they've accumulated. So it's like, you got it. There's like many layers to it, but it is interesting that that, and that's why I talk about like that 80%, you know, of Mm -hmm. the population who just, you know, that's, that's where the experience starts. And if that starts to happen, those in recovery can step into those spaces and, you know, also be a part of that. So that that's exciting to me. What is your favorite non-alcoholic drink? <laughs> oh gosh, there's so many. Um, there's so many great makers. You know, right now I'm really liking Ritual Proof. They have um, a non-alcoholic tequila. And, you know, the other thing, you think about all of the senses wrapped up with like, let's say you're, you know, putting your hand around your favorite drink and you're about ready to take, you know, your first sip. There's a sensory experience. There's smell, there's taste. And, and what I haven't found in several NA beverages is what I found in this ritual proof tequila, which is a heat, you know, like if you were to take a drink of something alcoholic, it gives you the illusion of this warming, you know, burning sense. And some people like, it's really like a trigger or an association. And I have found with this tequila because of all the ingredients, um, agave and everything that there's actually a heat to it. Hmm. which was fascinating. I'm like, Oh, that could be dangerous, but um, no. So, so far it's, it's just amazing what you don't even miss. It's like, if we can have these experiences and have fantastic non-alcoholic cocktails, which also means no sugar, that's like the biggest thing that, you know, most people, when even the term mocktails, we, we want to kind of strip from the language because you know, it, it does implies, well, I'm mimicking something I can't mm-hmm. have. So we, we, we really do say non-alcoholic beverage right now, have a lot of different language and terms going around for that, but that's when I love. And then also I, um, really am impressed with ABV technologies locally here in St. Paul, Minnesota, where, um, breweries from around the area will choose one of their favorite brews and send it to their location. And Ben there literally takes the alcohol out of the brew and sends it back to the brewery. And it's even on tap. Um, Bauhaus mm. is a is a great place to get five five different NA beers on tap. Where Bauhaus? Bauhaus, yeah. Oh, Bauhaus on on Broadway, yeah. Yep. Um, B-A-U-H-A-U-S. But yeah, there's, you know, and I think that's where it starts. It has to start with people that are, you know, in these spaces that understand that, you know, people want healthier options. I talked to so many that might want to start their evening with a couple alcoholic drinks, and then they want to switch over to something non-alcoholic so they can be productive and, and, you know, not drive drunk. I mean, I can't tell you like that, 
how many times, you know, that has happened for me, but also just, um, listening to a group of men recently talk. I mean, it's just, it's just like so common. So what if we could start making an impact in some of our social spaces that improved all of that? I mean, I just think, wow. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So Jen, how has living a non-alcoholic lifestyle for you, how has it improved your life overall and just changed how you see the world? Yeah, I would say, um, during active alcohol abuse, um, it kept me very small. You know, I just never felt like enough. I never, I would have ideas and I, I I feel like I'm a creative person and I feel like, you know, if I would have one night that, you know, something happened as a consequence or something from that, it would derail me for weeks getting back on track. And it literally, it just, I just don't, I felt like I wasn't living my fullest life to my fullest potential whatsoever. So since becoming full, you know, eight years ago, stepping into sobriety, um, wow, (laughs) I've started to use that experience to kind of work on all different areas of my life. And it, you know, just, it spirals, but that is like the base level of if I was drinking, I was not going to have these things in my life. I consider myself what I call sober necessary. For me, it's a life or death situation. If I were to drink again and have too much and I never, you know, know when that could happen and others are maybe still on the more curious spectrum, but yeah, definitely a a necessary thing for me. Um, so I know that many people out there use alcohol to like relax, unwind, maybe feel more comfortable in a social setting. Um, how do you relax and unwind? And (laughs) have you noticed in social situations, um, as a woman who is not drinking, you know, like, do you get annoyed or maybe annoyed isn't the right word, but like, And I don't want to say judgmental, but like, feel like, okay, here I am sober, surrounded by all these drunk, (laughs) drunk people. Like, how, (laughs) how is that for you? Oh, yes. Okay. So the first part of the question, how do I unwind and relax? Um, Sauna is like my favorite thing. I started doing that three years ago. And what I love about it is you come into this hot sauna, no one has a drink. I mean, you have water outside, but it's never even a question. And it's a social experience that I absolutely love and feel completely comfortable in. And then the other part of that is um, I don't go to some of those things that I know are going to be overly, you know, heavy into drinking and all the things that I just, I just set a boundary, just not doing that. Um, So to the second part of the question, um, yes. I mean, it's hard to say it's not annoying to be sober and be around um, drunk people. It really is hard. I have to tap into my empathy and, oh my gosh, I, that was me. The annoying drunk person who was trying to, you know, corral everyone, make sure everybody was drinking and happy and dancing. So I have lived that. So I have to remember that in terms of the judgmental piece. Um, and I just, I can't even tell you, talking with women like you who share, you know, that they are and they do that you know, with wine with dinner. And I just had this amazing girls trip with 15 women. And I was, I always ask, is the drinking going to be a focus? And the host assured me it it would not be. And it wasn't, there were dinners and, you know, women had wine and 
it just, it felt good to like be in a situation like that where people I felt were using it in a celebratory way. And I think you should be able to do that. I mean, for sure, if I didn't have this train wreck of consequences, I would want that for me, you know? Um, And so I think that is really like the divide in society, especially if you're AA and all the way over here, um, there is that, there for sure is that judging, you know, of what we call normies, but gosh, you know, bringing that together and having conversations and remembering what our history, you know, as people who have maybe abused alcohol, um, too much in the past, you know, where we were and, um, staying in that space so we can open up conversations with people who are like, well, I think I'm okay drink. You know, I have that all the time. I have conversations with people, you know, I, I don't know, do I have a drinking problem? I mean, that's what people want to know, right? Take a quiz, determine if I am, or, you know, am I okay? Yeah. And then there's people that don't care. Like they're not willing to give up the alcohol. Like, right. Right. I, yes. I may have a drinking problem, but I just, yes. I don't care. I'm going to have a drinking care. problem. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes me sad. Yeah. I, and again, it's, it's the, this is the work in the environmental space, um, going after big alcohol. I mean, right now you look at a label and it just says, you know, if you're pregnant, maybe breastfeeding, um, operating like heavy machinery, it's maybe not good for you. I mean, it's so, we need to change the language on the labels. Um, it's, you know, alcohol and drugs are listed kind of separately, like alcohol and drug abuse when alcohol is a highly addictive drug. And we're all sold the idea that you should be able to drink responsibly, which Mm -hmm. is not the case. And it's not the case for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, we, uh, a couple of things we want to dive into, but we interviewed someone, the episode hasn't dropped talking about magic mushrooms, right. And microdosing, and, you know, that's illegal in a lot of States. I think it's moving in the direction. I think there's only one or two places, States in the U S where it is legal, but you can drink two bottles of wine and be fine, you know, quote, fine. Right. Totally. That's, that's okay. Yeah. So that's a whole topic for another day, but sure. I just want to bring it out there because it, because of the social norms. And like you said, the lack of warning labels um, and it starts early and that's where we kind of want to dive in and talk a little bit about teenagers. And I know you said, you know, you started in high school, which is very common. I, I drink in high school as well. And we all have teenagers. And so how do you, you know, Marnie and I are just curious how you talk to your two kids about alcohol use um, yeah, just thoughts you have on this space. Oh, yes. So, you know, with teenagers, anytime you forbid or tell them, no, they want to experience it. They want it more. And if they've seen you as an adult, you know, going for your five o'clock happy hour drink, it's so ingrained. They don't even notice it, but you are telling them. And, you know, Stephanie, you were talking about sporting events where parents are drinking, it is around our children all the time. They grow up with it. They think it's a rite of passage, you know, and I would, I've looked to European models where it's a little bit more open. You can have a drink, you know, and, and, you know, they really, they have a different relationship, I think in Europe um, than we do maybe as Americans, because it's like, absolutely not. And so it's, um, I've been talking with my kids as much as they were able to kind of understand, you know, 10 years ago, they were what, you know, seven and nine. And there's only so much they can probably comprehend at that point. But 
as you know, things have moved along, I've been fully open to conversations and know that they're going to experiment. They're going to be in environments and, um, you know, towing that line of just being like, you know, making sure they understand the science behind it, um, what's happening in their brain. And I have even said, you know, if you could just like hold off experimenting until you're in your 20s, that would be great, <laughs> you know, because starting at such a young age really does impact your brain health and it leads you down a path. I mean, alcohol is a gateway drug. So if you're doing that in high school, and you get to college, it just, you know, it builds, it builds on all that. And there's so much change in the formation, you know, as teens of who they are. And if you have alcohol wrapped up in that, not good. Of course, it leads to all other problems. So I've tried to just bring them along and I've brought them to events through Dissonance, which is the organization that's focused on mental health and recovery in and through the arts. And I've brought them to events where adults aren't drinking. You know, they're having a good time. We had a New Year's Eve party at the Parkway Theater years ago. And I mean, it was all non-alcoholic, amazing beverages, kind of a throwback to the 20s. And they were there for that. And I got up on stage and I talked about the importance of, especially on triggering holidays like New Year's Eve and, you know, all these things that are wrapped up in our celebrations. And it was, it was you know, it's modeling that for them too, to see that they do have a different option. So long answer, but I mean, I, there's so much in that space for, for our kids. And I think, um, you know, even now, like the timing seems very right to um, start providing those type of spaces for them. And I agree. I think modeling is so key because if they see you drinking every night, can't go to, you can't go to your kid's baseball game because yeah. you don't have an opportunity to drink. Like, that's kind of sad for them, right? Like as a parent, sure. we should be able to attend their functions and not need alcohol to get through it, to have a good yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I mean, amen. Yeah. Amen. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll just say to that, you know, the, we talked about earlier women and drinking. So the mommy wine culture and, all of that. And, you know, women during the pandemic with younger kids at home, just my heart goes out to them. I mean, I just like, oh, they've been marketed to, they've been, you know, told that, the, and then the kids are hearing this, right? As they're growing up too, like, you know, I can deal with you if I've got a glass of wine and my, my tumbler that's a fancy design and hidden. I mean, the secrecy of it, but also the um, silently kind of encouraged and on social media blatantly. Yeah. I mean, I've seen you know, so many videos that are supposed to be funny, you know, like yeah, celebrities, all, I mean, all kinds of videos like that. Yeah. So, you know, I know you've mentioned a lot of different ways that you have had a non-alcoholic life. I'm wondering what kind of suggestions you would give to our listeners as a, I don't know, maybe one to two simple ways that someone could explore what a sober lifestyle would look like. What, what would you suggest would be like a first step? Yeah, I think, um, you know, testing out if you are in the curious space, you know, testing out some really quality non-alcoholic beverages, you could do that at home. Um, another larger extension of that is thinking about, you know, what, what 
things are you going to, or what, you know, how you bring alcohol where you go. Right. I mean, I actually had to bring a case of non-alcoholic wine into a gala because their only options were sparkling water and soda. So could you be that person who, you know, looks at an upcoming thing you're doing and brings something that is, um, you know, non-alcoholic, but very celebratory into that space? Could you do that? You know, like, um, those are the type of things that I really encourage. And, um, I think that can make a huge difference, um, because it is such a group thing. Like drinking is such a group thing. Like if, you know, even prior to, you know, if you're going meeting friends to be able to say, Hey, let's make this like a non-alcoholic night. What do you think about that? And it takes, you can't just like spring it on them at dinner. You have to be like, (laughs) we're all in it. We're all going to, you know, do something healthy and then, roll it into, you know, a non-alcoholic experience and see like how, how the conversation flows. And I would say, um, probably can, these experiences can be very awkward. And I'd encourage everyone to like sit with that uncomfortableness and keep trying it in small doses, um, and talking about it. Right. Cause I mean, I have known, you know, people that have been in active addiction that have moved into these spaces and just like shut down because it's such a uncomfortable, dramatic thing. But that's where, you know, the answers are around, are we, you know, using alcohol in a way that, you know, we want, is it, is it harmful to me? And that's, that's where we get the conversation going and, you know, talk with, talking with friends and an experience like that, um, I think would be very revealing I think that's such a great idea. And even, you know, I'm just thinking back to a few situations that I've been in where there has, where alcohol hasn't been the, um, I don't know, dominant force, if you will, part of the night. It hasn't been the focus of the night. Mm -hmm. And you can really have some really deep, powerful conversations when everyone, like you said, is sort of on the same wavelength and, and isn't, you know, their mind isn't being altered by this other, this substance. Right. Um, and so you, it's just, you can really go deep in those conversations yeah. too. You can There's something powerful about that. Yeah, absolutely. And it does make a difference. Like we were saying, when everyone's kind of in that, that space, um, because I have found that I will want to leave spaces where there's a lot of that going on. I'm like, I just, it's not yeah. healthy for me. So I'm just like exit. And for a lot of reasons, um, you know, I don't do as many events as I've done in the past, but well, I would love to do another sauna event with you. When you mentioned I sauna, know. I remember yes. we did that hu- event at the Hewing Hotel. Yes, yes. And it was amazing. I think it was like the summer before like 2019 maybe. And then we had it, COVID and I know they're doing them again. So I would love to join you they for another are. one. Yeah, sauna is back. And the correlation, like the health benefits of that too are so amazing. So like just um, that's what I want to do more of, like creating experiences that are healthy, but then also have like a social component to them and, you know, really having some amazing makers, you know, locally that are doing some amazing things with cocktails. Like you, you, and not, not just to replace, um, the alcoholic version, but, um, actually like working with grapefruit, turmeric, like all these health related Mm. ingredients Uh and, like ritual proof, their tequila, zero calories. I'm still like baffled. I'm like, I have to look at that label. <laughs> I, I you know, <laughs> check it out actually. Yeah. I'm interested in, yeah. I might have to try that. Super yeah. excited. 
for sure. I found a couple little fun sparkling beverages um, that you can find like at the co-op and now I can't remember the name, but they're good and they're low cal and they're low sugar yeah. and they're just a little more interesting. I've brought them with me places. Yeah. And there's, you know, yeah. botanicals. I mean, the market is yeah. just exploding yeah. and everyone has an amazing story, you know, whether they came to it through sobriety or many people, you know, for the science of it, like, Hey, we can do this. This is possible. And the other thing I'll say is just in terms of price points, people are paying for these things. You know, they're not, it's not like, like I go to get a case of NA beer and it's maybe $12 and I'm like, you know, I'll have a beer, you know, it's just relatively speaking on how much I spent on drinking and, um, maybe buying cheap wine because I was buying a lot of it. Um, now I can, I'm totally down with that. I'm like, sweet, $12, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. not a problem. And people will pay for that experience um, for sure. And I think restaurants, um, that's a whole area where we, I'm working with a group called Zero Proof Collective, which I, I think I started it. <laughs> well, with a group of three <laughs> women last month, we were like, we need to bring together everyone that has a voice in this movement and is trying to do something related to, um, you know, a business initiative that's trying to move these conversations forward. So we have our first meeting today and it's a, it's intended to be a cross section of, you know, makers and, you know, media and everyone. So we can start to really um, move this message into the environment space um, that it really hasn't had a lot of traction in, including so, workplace. And we mm-hmm. had an episode, I we put you in touch with her, right? Was it Natalie? Oh, Natalie yes. have to get that. Natalie yes. Hulse. Natalie yes. Hulse. So yes. and she was an amazing maker of zero proof. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, the the Denver market is one that we've looked to as Minneapolis. And then, you know, we're looking, Awake Denver is franchising nationally. They have amazing statistics on where this market is going because finally the public is kind of coming along to say, yeah, we don't really want this. We don't want two for one happy hours. We don't want, you know, what are we putting into our bodies? I mean, alcohol is ethanol, even if it's clean, it's right. Yeah, it's still toxins. It's still a toxin. Yep. And your liver has to process it. Yeah, right, right. Um, The older you get, right? As you age, you're just like, "Mm, can't. (laughs) Exactly. So Jen, um, where can people find you? You've shared so much about your your various businesses and what you're doing, even just this meeting today. So where can people learn more? Yeah, um, just on my website. So jengilhoy.com, J-E-N-G-I-L-H-O-I.com. And that is the central hub of where I am sharing stories. I'm writing about um, non-alcoholic event experiences. And that is going to be um, where I'm really focusing my work. So that would be great. Um, Also on Instagram, my handle is jengilhoy. And I'll be sharing a lot of content there as well. Probably transitioning um, to a more sober branded account um, at some point. TBD. Uh, but yeah, that's what I love about this. It just keeps evolving. When I when I put myself out there in August of last year, um, I knew things would move forward. I just had no vision of how, and it has mm-hmm. it has really revealed itself. So that um, feels very, as we say in our community, it just feels like it's the time is absolutely now. Like I have this anxious feeling of like, we have to get out here. And, you know, the recovery community in Minnesota is one of the best in the country. You know, we have Hazleton, we have, we just have all of these 
amazing recovery groups, but then, you know, also if you look at health and wellness, like the number of people who care about that and belong to gyms and we have fortune 500 companies who can, you know, actually make an impact in their culture by not having alcohol in the workplace. Like we could do it here in Minnesota, the Minnesota model. <laughs> That's so great to hear. I love, love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. So as we start to wrap up this conversation, one thing that we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Yeah, the art of living well. Oh, and I've listened to so many of your guests answer this question. I love it. Um, I, For me, it really does mean living free of alcohol. I mean, that is my baseline for every piece of wellness in my life. It has, you know, the sobriety journey has taught me so many things that I've applied to entrepreneurship, to growth, to you know, anything I set my mind to, I go back to the experience of needing to be open and um, giving myself grace and moving into that, that space of wellness. So um, that's what it, that's what it means to me. Well, that's beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing. This is such an important conversation and we're, we're just really happy that you came on and we're vulnerable and I know our listeners are going to take a lot away from this. And I think, like you said, I love that term sober curious, because mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people out there that could identify themselves Yeah, that, that way. Yep. So, And you might move along the spectrum and um, all the way to that sober necessary piece where you determine that, you know, it's either it's really necessary or some people have even just, you know, I don't need it. I really don't need it and don't want it in my life. I could probably do it, but that's what we're seeing it with dry January and other people who um, come into these experiences that they are finding that it really does me no good. Like I just, you know, so I love seeing that. Yeah. And I'm excited to see you. what you do moving forward with all of this, because I love that you're shaping, you know, at least in Minneapolis and we'll see how far it goes. Yeah. You know, yes. the, the new, cause it is a very new, um, it's new what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. It's progressive. It's grassroots and mm -hmm. you're, but there's, you're clearly seeing a more demand for it. Yeah, there's so. just a lot of things coming together at this particular moment in time. So yeah, it's exciting. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you Jen. both. Yes, yeah. I am so grateful for both of you. Yes. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.